uh, got scared and got caught and got out of the garment and ran away naked. That was most likely Mark. You know, as we read this passage of Scripture, I was thinking, you know, do you ever struggle to do God's will? I mean, if we're we're honest, you're like me. I struggle at times to do the will of God. I want to do the will of God. I desire to do the will of God. And yet sometimes I find it very difficult. Almost impossible. I I got three friends, and, and oddly enough, all three friends have had children who were murdered. And three friends... Similar situation, very, very different reaction. We know that even if our own child is murdered, it is God's will for us to forgive that person, right? Well, one of my friends who doesn't know God, doesn't have any desire to know God, it's actually Kim's uh, cousin, was accidentally killed. And her mother... This was 15 years ago, and her mother to this day walks around with that like it happened yesterday. It has completely destroyed her life. She cannot get over it. And her disdain and hate for the person who was on the other side of that bullet is just, it's increased, not decreased. And then I have another friend who does know the Lord. He goes to church every Sunday. He doesn't spend a lot of time in Bible prayer or doing much more than that, but he goes to church and he knows the Lord. And his son was killed. And it took him years. He desired to forgive his son's murderer, but it took him years and years and years. And there was much anguish during that entire time. Very difficult for him to forgive his son's murderer. And I know a third guy who loves the Lord. He isn't just religiously devout. He is devout to the person of Jesus Christ. He spends much time with Christ, much time in Scripture, much time in prayer. And he received a phone call one day that his daughter was murdered. And he forgave his daughter's murderer before he hung up the phone on that phone call. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Admirable. I don't know where I would fall necessarily between those three. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But I know that I, 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 I do desire to do God's will. See, there's, there's God's will. We know God's will, but then there's my will. There's my will. And, and one of the things that, the, the, the greatest thing that, dis- that distinguishes us from all the rest of God's creation is free will. We have been given free will so that we can love God. If we didn't have free will, we couldn't love God. We would be robots. But we've been given this free will. So what is the will? I think Jonathan Edwards has the best definition that I found. He says, the will is that by which the mind chooses anything. So we have this will, and what is this will? It is that by which the mind chooses anything. So there's choices. And each and every day as we step into our lives and we go throughout our day, there's many choices, there's many decisions and choices to make. And each choice and each decision has a consequence. This is what God told Israel in Deuteronomy 30. He said, see, I have set before you today 
life and good, and death and evil. And then he goes on to urge them, choose life. Choose good. Because if you choose good, the consequences of that are life. But if you choose evil, the consequences of that are death. And it seems simple enough. Yet, there are times and circumstances and situations where I struggle to choose good. I struggle to conform my will to that of God's. Why is that? Well, we see the very similar pattern here in, these, in this passage of Scripture this morning. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is leading his disciples into the Garden. There's no only 11 left, remember? Judas has gone off to try to uh, betray Jesus. So 11 of them walk in, and he tells eight of them, stay here. You stay here and pray. And three of them he takes a little further in, Peter, James, and John. These are the three closest men to him. And he brings them further into the garden, and he tells them to stand here and watch. You stand here and watch. And Jesus himself moves just a little further away, not too much further, just about a a stone throw away. And he collapses, he falls down, and he begins to pray. But before he does that, the command that he, was given, that he has given his disciples is to watch and pray. Stay awake. Watch. Keep lookout. Keep your eyes open. Be alert. And tether to God in prayer. They don't do that. They fall asleep. Three times, Jesus goes to check on them, and three times... They're sleeping. Each time he gives them the command, re-gives them the command, watch and pray. And the third time, he's interrupted by Judas, Judas Iscariot. He is coming in with, a, with a, a mob. And this crowd, this mob, is made up of the religious rulers of the time. Judas leads this pack. Judas is there to betray Jesus Christ and the mob. The religious rulers are there to seize him and to destroy him. So we see in, the, in, this, in this three different, we have Jesus who is faithfully praying, we've got the disciples who are falling asleep, and we've got Judas who is betraying Jesus for 30 coins of silver. And the religious leaders who are seeking to destroy him. See, Judas and the religious leaders are not spiritual men. They're men of Adam. They're incapable of recognizing or wanting or desiring God. Incapable. We all have friends that are not Christians, that we wish to be Christians, and you think, oh, they're so stubborn, why can't they see? Because they're natural They're still in their natural state, the natural fallen state. They are incapable of seeing. Think about this. Jesus is here. God himself has come in human form and has spent three and a half years. By this time, there are no more diseases in this area. Nobody even has sniffles. Jesus Christ has healed everybody. No more leprosy, no more lame, no more blind, no more deaf. Everybody around this entire area is completely healed. 
Doctors are out of business. He, he, they watch him. They watch demons obey his commands. They watch supernatural things. They watch storms cease and listen to him. They, they listen to him preach with this power. They try everything that they can. They, they have these, these meetings. These are smart, very bright, well-educated men. And they come together and they devise these arguments to Jesus Christ to try to catch him and cannot. They fail utterly. And yet they still do not recognize him as God. And the reason is, is because they are of Adam. They see no worth or value or beauty. In fact, they see him as a threat. And this is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Nobody's neutral with Jesus Christ. Everybody's neutral with Buddhists or atheists. Or, uh, but Jesus Christ, don't bring that in here. Because it's not even the fact that we reject him, but he's a threat. This is the fall. Man says, I don't need God and I don't want God because I am God. And so the actual God poses a threat into my own kingdom and what I have deemed good and right. And so we must destroy them. The government seeks to destroy Christ. Laws seek to destroy Christ. Schools which Christ started, seek to destroy Christ. This is the natural man. It's like a lion. A lion eats meat. That's what a lion eats. If you put out a bale of hay or some oats for a lion, it doesn't matter how hungry he is, he's going to walk right by that bale of hay and that bale of oats because he doesn't like oats and he doesn't like hay. It's not that he physically couldn't eat the hay and the oats. A lion is physically capable of eating oats. But he would never eat oats. He'll never choose oats because he hates oats. This is the natural work of a lion. Now, if, if a lion were to somehow develop the appetite or the desire for oats and hay, we would sit here and say, something miraculous has happened to this lion. Something supernatural has taken place in this lion's life. Because that's not natural. And this is the same thing with a fallen man. You and I, we start out, we don't desire God. We don't want to do His will. That is not, we, are, we, are, we are bent against our own comforts and our own security. We've got this will and the choices that we make are motivated by comforting the flesh, pleasing the flesh, serving the flesh, glorifying the flesh. We don't ever consider even God, we're incapable because we hate God. So when somebody sees Christ and repents from their flesh and seeks to turn them from the flesh onto the Spirit, onto Christ, can we not say something supernatural has happened to that person? It is not natural for a man in his fallen state to want God. So we 
are the consequences. Those are the, that's his decision. Judas had plenty of opportunity to repent and not betray Jesus, but he, he, he doesn't want God. In fact, he looks at the value of Jesus for roughly around 30 coins of silver, and so that's what he does. He betrays him. What awful betrayal, too. This man just moments ago, hours ago, was eating with Jesus in the most intimate way with his head on, on Jesus' bosom. And now he is going to approach Jesus with a kiss on the cheek as though he was his friend. And it's a kiss of betrayal. These are the choices that he made. This is the will of Judas. And what are the consequences? We know the consequences. Great sorrow. Anguish. Pain. Suicide. And then the suffering begins. Can we just take a moment now to praise God that we are not Judas anymore? That we have had that supernatural whatever it is happen to us that we desire God. We don't always do God's will. But boy, do we desire it. I, I don't... I don't want to be like, I don't, I don't have that appetite anymore. I want to do God's will. There's something in me that longs to follow God. This is the spiritual man or spiritual person. This is what Jesus tells his disciples. The other 11 are spiritual. They're following Christ. They're true to that. And he tells them in verse 38, he says, listen, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. The Holy Spirit that is indwelling in me is willing to follow Jesus Christ regardless of the personal cost. The Holy Spirit that's inside of me is seeking to abide in Christ at all times, at all stops, no matter what, even to the point of death. The Spirit inside of me cares more about a relationship with Christ than it does even its own physical life. And so that is willing. He is willing. That spirit in us is willing. But I have this flesh. I still have remnants of the Adam. I still have remnants of the, the old man, the old person in me. We know we are called to crucify the flesh. But crucifixion, as you know, is not an instantaneous death. When we receive Christ, we go to crucify the flesh. There's a process there that takes place. It's a long, painful process. We call it sanctification. The continually growing of the spirit and the dying of the flesh. See, the flesh is motivated by its own comfort and its own glorification. So this is what God is saying. Or Jesus is telling his disciples. His, his disciples are, are they're tired and the moment's kind of lost on them. We've got to remember, like, we know what's coming. We know exactly where they are because we've read ahead. We know the story. But this is happening in real time for them. It's kind of lost, the magnitude of everything that's going on, and they're tired. And there's no Roman soldiers here right now. They don't feel any temptation right now. I mean, Jesus told them that they were going to flee, and they denied that. No, no, we're willing to follow you anywhere. 
And Jesus is saying, listen, your, your spirit is, but your flesh is weak. So right now is the time to watch and pray. Right now is the time to stay awake, to be alert, and to pray. We might have this in our own in our own lives. We might be thinking on a Wednesday night when we're setting the alarm. I really want an extra hour of sleep. I'm doing pretty good. Everything's fine in my life. I don't feel any real temptation. I haven't been overly sinful, whatever that might mean. I'm going to sleep in the hour, and I'm going to skip my time with God in the morning. I'll say some prayers quickly on my way out. I'll fit God into my, my schedule. Because I'm, I'm doing fine. Jesus is saying, bad plan. Bad plan. Because temptation's coming. There's one thing, I can be a prophet right now, ready? I'm going to prophesy for us all right now, future teller right now, right? Temptation is coming. That's true for everyone here. It's coming. First Peter reminds us, right, that your, that your adversary, the devil, is out there roaming around like a lion, lion seeking to devour, just waiting, just waiting. And isn't it just like Satan in those times when we are just so tired, we feel like taking a break for him to pounce? And we've got this spirit that is willing to do the will of God. We've got this spirit that, that wants to do the will of God. But we've got this flesh that is weak and will never be able to overcome it. The temptation. We just won't be able to. So we must stay alert, stay awake, be ready for temptation, and tether to God in prayer. And it is specifically important that we're doing those, that in times when things are okay. Now is the time. While you're sitting in the garden, late at night, not a soul around, nothing going on, now is the time to be alert, to be awake, and tether to God in prayer. Because we know temptation is coming. Well, they don't do that. They chose sleep. I've chosen sleep too. I've been these disciples. And this kind of goes to my opening, right? Why is it that at times I have such a difficult time choosing the will of God? Actually living out the will of God. The reason is, is because I wasn't tethered to God in prayer. I wasn't supernaturally filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I tried to beat and tackle my temptation with the flesh. I lost. I lose every time. I lose every time. What are the consequences? The consequences are in verse 50. And they all left him and fled. The flesh became afraid. The temptation to listen to the fear was too great. They succumbed to the flesh. They succumbed to the fear. And they did exactly what they told, promised Jesus they wouldn't do, which was leave him at his hour in need. They failed to do God's will. 
And then there's Jesus. Jesus is like my friend who spent lots of time with him and is able to forgive his daughter's murderer before he hangs up the phone. And Christ doesn't just teach. We know this is why it's so important that we read the Gospels and meditate on the Gospels and watch Jesus in the Gospels because he doesn't just teach us how to live and how to live out God's will. He shows us. Verse 33 says, As he entered into the garden, he is greatly distressed and troubled. Like, words aren't doing this justice. He is increasingly, shockingly distressed and troubled. His soul, in verse 34, is very sorrowful to the point of death. Literally. That's not a figure of speech. He is close to dying because he's so broken in his soul. Luke tells us that he's sweating blood. He can't take it anymore in verse 35 and he eventually falls to the ground in desperate prayer. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Three times, three times he asks God, to remove this cup from him. we got to understand, this isn't anything. What he is facing is not anything any one of us is able to face. He's facing something that none of us could have ever taken on. I don't know many people that have sweat blood out of anxiety. I don't know many people who have been so sorrowful they almost died. And that's because they've never faced what Christ is facing. See, Christ isn't, the cup he's asking to pass isn't death. You and I are all going to face death. We ain't handling it better than Christ, let me reassure you. What he's so stressed out about isn't the rejection of his friends. We've all been betrayed and rejected by those that we love and are dear to. It's not the mocking or the beating. Goodness knows we've all all been mocked and we've all taken our share of beatings in life. That's not what is stressing him out. There are two things that that cup represents. First, what is bringing him such anguish and pain is that the one who knows no sin is about to become sin. That's hard for us to to, to wrap our minds around because we're sinful. This man has never sinned. He's as pure as it gets. And he's not about to embark in sin, but become sin itself. All sin. All sin of the past. All sin in the present. And all sin in the future. Upon his shoulders will reside darkness, pollution, filthiness, dirt, weight, 
pressure, anxiety, turmoil, worry, guilt, stress, savagery, conflict, strife, war, torture, enmity, poison, corruption, consumption, disturbance, murder, rape, abuse, molestation. You go on and on. Every sin ever committed, past, present, and future, He's about to become. And those are our sins. That's my sin. He's becoming my sin. And it's too much for Him to bear. The cup off also represents the wrath of God. He becomes this sin and then takes on the wrath of God, the wrath of God being poured out onto him for my sins. Remember, this is one who knows no separation. Jesus Christ is fully God, and in his fully God, he knows his Father for eternity. Never separate from his Father. Jesus Christ, the full man, as we watch, is holy, perfectly, completely dependent upon the Father. He says, I don't say a word unless my Father tells me to do it. I don't do anything, I don't say anything, I don't think anything, I don't make a move without checking in with my Father. That Father that he's known for eternity, that he is fully dependent on, is about to turn his face from him. And he can barely bear it. Can't take it. And the wrath poured on him. See, he, he, he understands he understands why. He desires it. He loves us. This isn't a moment where he doesn't love us. He loves us. What he's saying to God there is, let this pass cup for me. Let this cup pass for me. He's saying, man, listen, if there's any other way to do this, if there's any other way to do this, let's do it that way. But then he says, but your will, your will, not mine, be done. Let's do it your way. Man, we, we can all use this reminder, right? In this moment, Jesus Christ, the fully human Jesus Christ, recognizes in his human state that, <coughs> that for his father, uh, his father's thoughts are not his thoughts. His ways aren't his ways. Uh, as far as the heaven is from the earth, is as far as his ways are from his, and his thoughts are from his thoughts. How often do we fail to do the will of God because we think we know better than God? Listen, God is going to ask us to walk through some stuff. Following Christ ain't easy. Following Christ comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. And it is in those times we just need to know that God is good and righteous and He works everything out for the people who love Him. He works everything out for the good for those who love Him. After the third time, God lets him know this is the way it's got to be. And so 
so we see him get up and here comes the mob and Judas. And they come to seize him and of course Peter cuts off the guy's ear. And Jesus heals that ear and tells him, look, you could have grabbed me at, at any time. Why are you coming at night like I'm a dangerous thief? It's important that we realize this. Then he steps forward into their presence. He does not become seized. He carries out the will of God willingly. Though he didn't want to. In his flesh, in his weakened flesh, he didn't want to, yet he is able to. Why? Because he was awakened, tethered to prayer. And so he chose, in that moment, to do the will of God. What are the consequences? (laughs) This church... This church is a consequence. My soul is a consequence for God, for Jesus' obedience to God. Amen? Our very lives, our eternal life is a consequence. Three days later, he resurrects and victoriously as a consequence of doing the will of God. So it's a dark, horrible, awful scene. God redeems and makes the most significant and wonderful thing that has ever taken place. Praise be to God. How amazing it is. So, Christ is telling us, is teaching his disciples. Remember, he pulled those three in so that he could, they could witness this. They recorded this. They learned the lesson and recorded it for us so that we could learn that Christ is calling us to be people that watch and pray, that we stay awake as Christians, that we don't fall asleep, That we keep our eyes open. That we recognize our weakness. That we know that we have flesh that needs to be crucified. And that we tether to God in prayer. That we're spending time with God consistently. Not just when difficulties arise or temptation occurs, but in all times. that our desire to follow him begins to match more and more consistently our decision and our thoughts and our words and our actions. That we increasingly look more like Jesus and less like Adam. Amen? This is sanctification. This is what we desire. But the good news is we know we're going to fail. Jesus knew that his disciples were going to fail. He told them. He died for them anyway. After all of this, we know that Jesus Christ resurrects. And where does he go? He goes to the disciples who failed him. And he restores them. Romans 7 puts all of this in a summary. Where Paul goes into this thing where he's going, man, I I do the things I don't want to do. And I don't do the things that I want to do. And there's this turmoil. And he gets to the end of Romans 7 and just going back and forth and how he just can't seem to do God's will. And he gets to the end and he says, Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we try. We try to stay awake. 
We try to tether to God in prayer because we desire to be more like Jesus and less like Adam. We desire to live in the Spirit, not in the flesh. But in those times when we fail, let us not hang our head. We'll proudly proclaim that our Christ, our Lord, and our Savior is yet again handing out new mercies and restoring us and redeeming us to continue to walk the Christian faith. Amen? Heavenly Father, God, in this new year, teach us how to stay awake. Teach us how to be alert. Teach us how to know ourselves. And teach us how to find the rhythms of the disciplines of grace that we might make those a priority in our lives. Even when things seemingly are going well. That we've recognized that temptation is coming and we're spending this time now tethered to our Father in prayer like you demonstrated here. God, we can never take on what your son took on. We, we just couldn't. And we're so grateful that he surrendered to your will. That he continued down that path. That he drank from that cup. The cup I could never drink from. And God, we know as we move forward, as we look to follow Christ, that we will have our moments in that garden. Not to that extent, but to us, it'll bring us to our knees. Help us in those times to be faithful to you and to carry out your command and your will. Not out of religious duty, but because we love you and we desire to be more like Jesus and less like Adam. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.